Don't you love a Darby Dale? <laughs> Who doesn't love a Darby Dale? Who doesn't love a Darby Dale? We're we're on the gantry um, at the Eon Stadium <laughs> here for the Brosnan Derby. The Brosnan Derby. Uh, it's been a long time since the last time we've had a Brosnan Derby. Uh, many years, in fact. Yes. Uh, but I'm excited to be here today, and I'm excited to watch these two sides, which are both very good sides, battle it out on the pitch. Let, let's see how the teams are lining up today. So we have D- <laughs> AFC die another day. <laughs> Playing against Goldeneye United. Yes. So yeah, die another day. We're lining up with a three, a, a novel three, 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 one. They must have been taking notes from Grandpa. Yes, yes. Or the master himself, Marcelo Bielsa. Um, between the posts, we have John Cleese, the big man himself. Uh, lining up in the back three, we have Michael Madsen, Lawrence McAuary, and Dame Judy Dench. Oh, and Dame Judy Dench has been having an excellent season. It'll be a pleasure to watch her play tonight. No, I mean, it's very unusual to have a center back that short, but we've seen it work recently with, like, Martinez sort of Coming fitting in, in to, you know, fitting into Manchester. United, so we'll see. We'll see what feisty Dame Judy Dench can uh, you know, bring to what the game. She brings an aggression, which she lacks uh, lacks for in height. Um, center of the park, we have the the captain of the squad, Pierce Brosnan. Center midfield, flanked by Madonna and Samantha Bond. Sitting just ahead of them, uh, Rosamund Pike in a number ten role with uh, Halle Berry and Rick Yoon as wingers or maybe sort of wingbacks that are pushed really high up the field and, uh, and playing forward and attacking roles. It'll be really interesting to see Rosamund Pike as well as this is her first feature for the side. Yeah, yeah leading the line we have the exciting young prospect Toby Stevens. Oh, Toby. Oh, what, the expert finisher. Yes. No, excited to see what he brings onto the pitch today. And for GoldenEye United, we've got them lining up in a 4-2-3-1, a nice classic counter-attacking sort of situation going on. We've got uh, Jodon Baker in goal. In the back four, we've got Dame Judy Ditch playing at right back. And then we have Robbie Coltrane and Gottfried John playing as our two center halves. And Cechi uh, Carrillo playing as our left back. And our two uh, defensive midfielders, we've got Isabella Sparuco and Alan Cumming. And then our three attacking midfielders, we've got Samantha Bond, Famke Jansen, and Sean Bean. With our number nine, Pierce Brosnan himself. This side, managed by Martin Campbell, has a pretty excellent record historically, but we'll see if they can pull off a win today. Yeah, like AFC die another day, uh, forgot to mention, we, we have Lee Tamahori today as the manager. Yeah, he's just worked himself up from the lower leagues, and, I mean, folks, a lot to show. folks, he is here to decolonize the screen, so let's... Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Bonfield, folks. Uh, thanks for sitting through our our, our, little, bit. Uh, our little bit there. Uh, as you probably heard, we are or we watched Die Another Day in Goldeneye. The just the bracket again has just produced some gold, and uh, we. And this get, is a really excellent matchup, honestly. Oh, this this is like one of the best matchups yeah. we've seen. I think it's just. I mean. You know, we got two Brosnans, his first one, his last one, two and it, strikingly different films. And all, definitely the two most memorable Brosnan films. Oh, absolutely, because the, the middle two are like, imagine if the bracket lined up, the world was not enough, and tomorrow never dies. I that think that would have been, been really fun, fun yeah. but it would have been really bad. I wouldn't have remembered 
like what was happening. Yeah, yeah I would be so confused. I would come back and be like, we watched one movie this week, right? Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, uh, which one do you want to start with today, Harry? Uh... We usually go chronologically, so maybe we should... Uh, start with Goldeneye? We'll start with Goldeneye, yeah. All right, well, so as we said, uh, we pretty much already gave you the casts, but in yeah. a modeled and screwed up fashion. Um, stars Pierce Brosnan, Isabella Skorupko, Famke Janssen, and Sean Bean, with uh, also appearances from Judy Dench, Joe Don Baker, Robbie Coltrane, and Alan Cumming. Uh, those are, I would say, the most important sort of actors in the film, or the most memorable actors in the film. The crew, we've got Martin Campbell directing, and it was mainly written by Michael France and Bruce Fierstein. The editor was Terry Rawlings, and it was um, production designed by Peter Lamont, with the typical new sort of um, designer of titles, Michael Kleinman, if I'm not uh, incorrect on that one who's been doing pretty much all of the post-Morris Bender title sequences. Uh, the plot of the film, this is, I mean, I'm sure everybody who would listen to this knows the plot of this film, because this is probably the most popular Bond film for anybody below the age of 35. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I sort of, like, I think our generation... Or, like, are the specific sort of few mid-90s years that right, you're right, about yeah. born in? You're 93, right? 93, okay, yeah, yeah, so I'm 95. Like, I feel like this is... This is, like, the foundational text of Bond for us. No, I was going to say that I think we, we sort of, like, missed the boat on this a bit. Oh, well, and I mean, I played the game a ton. Okay, so I never had a 64. Well, see, I didn't own the game, but my okay. friends did. Okay. And it was always one of my favorite games to play at their houses, so I I feel like GoldenEye is, like, baked into my childhood. Yeah. Even though I didn't see the movie until a later age, after it had been out for a few years, but I played the game from, like, as far as I can remember, yeah. almost. Because I, I was going to say, like, I, I was found that, like, this... I never remembered that much from this film, but, like, a lot of my friends who are in their 30s now are, like, very aware of, like... Of everything in of this. Of everything in this film. Yeah. So, like, but anyways... I, would, this, would this film be better if, like, Oddjob was in it and he was really small and, you know, he could slap you but you couldn't slap him because he was so small? <laughs> yes, is, it would be. Is, <laughs> it would be better. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so the plot of the film is um, that, you know, nine years... Begins with nine years prior. Yeah, deep into the Soviet Union. Yeah, deep into the Soviet Union, James Bond is on a mission with another double-O agent. And at the... the mis mission climaxes with the other agent being killed and Bond having to escape. Now, uh, it's nine years later and Bond is out doing other things and he essentially has to encounter this double O agent again who is now, he has this large plot to essentially steal a the golden eye, which is the piece of technology needed to control a, a satellite that can create an EMP effect to d destroy yeah. any electronical... Well, it's, uh, sort of, it's sort of like these, these like satellite weapons yeah, they're that satellite the Soviets weapons. put into space put into space but then haven't been used since the Soviet Union collapsed yeah and, and now they're controlled yeah. by the Russian Federation yeah. who are essentially just stewarding them so nobody else uses them yeah. But uh, this double-O agent, through some of his uh, henchmen, which is a Russian general, General Oromov, and a very sadistic mercenary woman, Famke yeah. Janssen's Zinya on the top, uh, steal the golden eye so that they can control it, so that they can then create an EMP right after they have stolen a bunch of money from the... Um, State Bank in Britain. Yeah, Bank of, Bank of England, Bank, Bank of London, England. Yeah, something, Bank of something like yeah. that. They're going to steal millions of dollars and then shut all the electronics in the city down through an EMP pole so they'll never get caught. 
they are all doing this because uh, Sean Bean's character, Alex Trevelyan's parents were Nazis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's the, there's a really weird like minor backstory that I, I feel like nobody outside of Eastern Europe would have any clue. Yeah, uh, but I guess at the, at the end of World War II, uh, there were all these Lien's Cossacks, many of which who had actually left the Soviet Union around the time of the revolution in 1917 through like the Civil War in 21, whenever they fully solidified Soviet power. They left because they didn't like the Soviets, yeah. and during the war, a significant number of them fought on the side of the Axis. And at the end of the war, they surrendered to the Brit, the British, thinking they would get, you know, yeah. kept. They would stay in the West and maybe suffer a little bit in, for fighting for the Axis, but not have to like, you know, be stuck in a Stalinist prison yeah. for the next decade. And the British sent them back to the USSR as part of the agreements at Yalta. Alec Trevelyan, 006, the agent from the beginning of the film who we thought died. His parents were Leon's Cossacks, and they were... Well, actually, the, the dad killed them both, if I remember correctly. Or, like, it was like a murder-suicide. It was a murder-suicide. He killed his wife, and then he killed himself because yeah. uh, he didn't want to live with the shame. Yeah, and of, of uh, ethnically cleansing Poles, or, like, I don't know. Are these... So, in your sort of understanding of, like... Uh, Eastern European history are, the, are these the types of people that we'd see in the film like come and see or are these sort of like an Einsatzgruppen style yeah some of them would probably be in or? there was a specific branch of the SS yeah for foreign um, like volunteers more or yes. less wasn't the Einsatzgruppen foreign volunteers or was it that a lot just, of them were okay. but not all of them okay. but yeah so uh, it was I can't remember the exact name but they wore they didn't wear the dark SS uniforms they wore a green SS uniform okay and um these were probably these type of soldiers okay. who were fighting as part of the SS. But but there's also like, the only yeah. part of the SS that was considered to not have committed war crimes. Interesting. But yeah, so that's the plot of the film. Um, I feel like we really just blew through that. That was really great. Yeah. Um, but there's like a lot of really... I mean, it, this is like the big Bond film. This is the big reboot film. Uh, the soundtrack's by Eric Serra. So let's go ahead and talk about the music in the film a little bit. So we can go over the um, the theme. Yeah. And then we can also go over the, um, I guess, the pre-title sequence. Yeah. So the the theme, well, let's do the pre-title first, and that'll get us to the theme. Yeah, I mean, this is, like, I have no problem with this. I thought it was kind of fun just having something that carries into the plot and becomes very important, but I also don't like how... Oh, so obviously, yeah, the pre-title sequence is, like, him and... Uh, or, sorry, Bond and uh, Alex Trevelyan, 006 or whatever, on this sort of, like, botched mission in the Soviet Union. Yeah, they're um, infiltrating a chemical weapons facility, I think? Something like that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously, it's really interesting to sort of, like, have this thing that is obviously, like, uh, you know, building up some sort of, like, big betrayal that's gonna happen later, but I feel like they really, like, misused this, where they introduce Sean Bean, like, far too early in the film, and I found, like, there was just, like, a lack of, like, dramatic, like, gravita that or it was, they just sort of, like, wasted the opportunity to make this, like, more... More dramatic? More dramatic. Yeah, I, I do find, like, maybe for me the issue is that, you know, they introduce Sean Bean in this pre-title sequence, and then he doesn't, you don't, he doesn't show back up in the film until maybe, like, an hour in. And they, they they never sort of like explore their relationship that they had. No, 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 anymore. no. I don't, like, and that just... sort of like minimizes like the betrayal because apparently it's like this huge betrayal, but it's just like you don't really like you don't feel it. You don't feel you it don't at all. Ever see a friendship there? You no, just, they just work together for a little while. They don't even seem like friends in the opening. Yeah. I don't know. They too. seem like they like, get along. They're making yeah. jokes together. Yeah. Uh, I think what's the line? 006 says when they're starting to run in, he yells like "Last call," and yeah. Pierce's response is "Get me a pint." And yeah. there's a nice little like. Yeah. 
fun back and forth between them that I found enjoyable. Um, but maybe they could have established more of that. Um, I do find it to be not the like most attractive pre-title sequence in terms of its look. It's also not the most uh, bombastic action-wise. There's a lot of just shooting of guns. Yeah, yeah. It's a good stunt when he you know he does the first stunt with the with the bungee. And uh, bungees down the f- front of a dam, basically, and then uses a grappling gun to stop himself and pull himself to the bottom. Yeah. Uh, that's a cool stunt. And then there's a stunt at the end where he drives the motorcycle off of the cliff and, you know... Oh, yeah, that was to get insane. Into the plane. He, like, drives yeah. the motorcycle off of the cliff and, like, jumps off the motorcycle and free-falls into a plane that's, like, crashing. And he, like, sucks himself into the plane and then, and like, then pulls, pulls on the controls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, a very, it's a very cool Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty outlandish, but it's, it's quite fun. It's quite yeah. fun. But my problem is everything between those two stunts yeah. is really kind of lackluster, in my opinion. Yes. And it's it looks more like special commando operations than it does spying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but... Whatever, those are minor complaints, I guess. I mean, compared to the opening sequence last week of just Sean Connery going around punching people. Yeah, I guess it's way better than <laughs> that. It's <laughs> That's true. Just punching people and just physically assaulting women with their underwear. Yeah. The title sequence itself. So the song is sung by Tina Turner. Yeah, it's honestly, like, it's not a bad song. The title sequence is kind of, like, a bit clunky, though. There's it's lots very of, clunky. Lots of big hammers and sickles flying, flying around. around. There's lots Lennon's of si- heads. Yeah, yeah. Lots of Soviet statues toppling. And yeah. Like, it's, folks, it's, did you realize that the Soviet Union fell in the early 90s? Yeah, did you hear? Five years ago, Soviets are gone. You don't like me, Bond. You don't like my methods. You think I'm an accountant. A bean counter more interested in my numbers and your instincts. The thought had occurred to me. Good. Because I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War. Whose boyish charms, though wasted on me, obviously appeal to that young woman I sent out to evaluate you. Point taken. No, this this film is like, this is like the post-Soviet film. Yeah, it, it is. It really is. Well, there's also that scene, too, like the Alex Trevelyan reveal is sort of in the graveyard of, like, Soviet statues. Soviet statues, yeah. I'm pretty sure the statues are still up, I imagine. A lot of them are. Yeah. I mean, as long as you're in Ukraine. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like, if you're in Russia, like, they didn't really take them down. I mean, you can still go and see, like, Soviet, like, I mean, all over sort of the, the former Soviet Union, there's, like, the Soviet, like, uh, what's the, a mosaics and Stuff. Yeah, but Soviet mosaics. Like, Soviet, they still the same bus metro stops, stops bus yeah. stops. You on government buildings. I've seen government buildings in yeah. St. Petersburg that still have the Order of Lenin yeah. on them. I've gone. I mean, I've been to Kronstadt. Uh, you, there's still like multiple statues of Lenin up all around the little yeah. city there. Wouldn't it be really cool if Rome still had a building that had like a big 3D Mussolini face on the side <laughs> and it just said C all C, over yeah, yeah. <laughs> C, C. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. So it turns out Ronaldo's actually a fascist. Yeah, I, I, I can, I, I, you know, if if there was a, I can see him becoming like a fascist leader of like Portugal or something, or just sort oh, of yeah. like a, just like a, an Iberian uh, doing all the like, mugging, yeah. wearing his like Mussolini outfit. Yeah, oh yeah, he would, he would love it. And anyway, we're digressing. Uh, we're digressing quite heavily. a lot. Yeah. Um. Anyways, yeah, it's. A, I don't know. I find it. It's an okay. It's yeah. not, I don't find it particularly memorable. And actually, when I was watching, and I thought I noticed a couple parts of Tina Turner's performance where her voice like sort of warbled off-key here and there. I, I don't think it's that great. And when we get to the Die Another Day one, I think it's a much better title song. I think it's a good title sequence, too. It is. We'll get yeah, to it. Yeah, we'll get to it. But I, I'm going to have to say right now already, before we even get to it, that Die Another Day has a vastly superior title yeah. sequence and title song. Let's talk about gadgets. 
Yeah. I've got a list here of gadgets from the film. We've got the bungee cord, of course. The, the grappling gun. He's got the grenade pin that uh, Boris Krishinko kills himself with. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously, that is, that is like... A pen. This is a class four grenade. Three clicks. Arms the four-second fuse. Another three disarms it. How long did you say the fuse was? Oh, grow up, 007. They all said the pen was mightier than the sword. Thanks to me, they were right. I think a pretty, like... That's a good sequence. It's a good sequence. That's a really... It's, it's just a really nice way to use a Bond gadget, where it's like a pen that is given to him that is, like, it is a class four, whatever that means, grenade, if you, mm. like, click it three times and wait four seconds, and it if you click off. it, like, another three times, it, like, yeah, disarms or whatever. Right. I mean, sort of in the climax, or one of the climaxes, when yeah. they're in Trevelyan's, uh... But they're in Cuba like, at yeah. the end of the film, because that's the only other place with a big enough satellite to control... Not satellite, but a big enough um, satellite dish, I guess. Yeah, to, to control, control the satellite. Yeah, the, yeah, the golden eye satellite. The golden eye satellite, and there, Grishinko, who's a computer sort of uh, hacker coder guy. Yeah, uh, programmer. Uh, but one of those like '90s programmers that just like wears makes, a really bright shirt. Wears a really yeah, he wears a Hawaiian shirt, and he's kind of like a sex creep, and he like makes like all of his computer hacking just looks like cartoons. Like he's just yeah. making like like uh, graphic graphic design images and like he's got his own (laughs) and he's like obsessed with women's boobs yes and he has this like avatar that pops up on the computer screen of him just looking very sort of like devious and sinister and very pointy face and whatever anyway so he he wears glasses yeah he gets the pen at some point in this like scuffle in Trevelyan in in the base in Cuba and he starts like Nervously clicking on it as he's clicking on it. So Isabella Skorupko, who plays Natalia, the main Bond girl of the film, Natalia has basically set a new code that he has to be able to break before essentially like they can't complete their plan. Yeah, and he's nervously clicking on the pin over and over as Bond sits there and watches him do it, waiting for him to click it three times. And it's a very yeah. tense scene. It's very, very tense scene. It's, very... It's, it's 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 like a really it's one of the better uses of a bomb gadget that we've seen in a while. Absolutely, like, yeah. this film definitely has its moments, and that that is one, one of them. Good for moments, sure. yeah. There's the um, airbag telephone booth in uh, in Q Branch that if you go in and oh, you try yeah, to make a call, yeah, yeah. it like balloons up inside with an airbag and <laughs> smashes you against the glass so you can't escape. This was a very silly Q Branch scene. It was where a very they're just scene. walking through, and it's just chaos. There's just totally. stuff flying everywhere. Yeah, because like, I mean. Q comes up at first in a wheelchair with a cast on and Bond's like oh how are you feeling and then he launches a rocket out of the cast on a wheelchair um, and then gets up and people like are working on different gadgets that just keep basically exploding in the background it's very fun and then he's of course got a BMW because he's not a real Brit which he's not no Uh, no he's he's an Irishman who his attempt to conceal his Irish accent just makes him sound so affectless Absolutely, and bad. He yeah. just has such, like, he, his voice is so bland in this. Like, I don't know. There, there's just something about the Brosnan Bond so far. Just hearing him, like, saying these one-liners with this weird voice. And he's like, <laughs> oh my god, like... But his BMW's got stinger missiles. That's really the only gadget they mention. Other than I think it's also, like, armor-proofed. Uh, and then he, he's got the grappling gun belt that he uses at yeah. uh, the end of the film, I think, as well. So some decent gadgets, but nothing that ever really seems, besides the pen, to play a very cool role in the plot. Yeah. I do think the pen plays a really good role in that one scene, like we said, but otherwise, a lot of the gadgets are kind of forgettable. Yeah. So moving on, 
The Bond girls. A lot, a lot of Bond girl action in this film. I guess we'll start with the bad Bond girl, Xenia uh, on, on top. A really just like wild. She's super fun. Yeah, it's a really good performance from Famke Jansen. Just like a complete like sexual sadist who just yeah. gets off and on she, any she sort like, of like and she like she danger. like screams with pleasure in like any of these sequences of just like her being hurt or her hurting people and her her trademark is getting on top of guys and squeezing their midsections with their thighs until she like constricts them and like, they can't breathe and yeah, they die yeah. yeah she always did enjoy a good squeeze she kills a canadian what admiral, admiral or something at the yeah. opening and then at she the tries many, there's the great fight scene with her and bond and like the the spa or whatever yeah, when yeah, she's yeah. like trying to squeeze him and he's just has to like hump her into a wall <laughs> and like yeah. smack her into the concrete wall like repeatedly to like get her off him i mean like obviously like battering I, I, this isn't like the most like positive representation of like anyone but it's no. a really fun just like character to have in a bond film it is I mean, she's like, she's just like pretty threatening very movie. she's yeah, yeah she's threatening she's i don't know she's just like uh it's a dynamic and a very fun performance to watch. Yeah. And she's just, like, going wild. But at no point does it really feel, to me at least, like she's chewing the scenery. Yeah. It, it, it feels like a realistic Bond character, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, so she's good. Uh, what did you think about Natalia Simeonova? I think, I, I don't know, I had a lot of problems with, like, her uh, just, like, really forced romance with Pierce Brosnan, where I feel like they, they have, like, no chemistry. No, they just, like, them. start kissing one scene. Right yeah, there. and even after it's that, that... It's right after the train scene. Yeah, even after that, they just have, like, really little chemistry between them, and it's just this really, like, un... They, I don't know, you can't really suspend your, your disbelief with, like... People their... need to have chemistry for you to believe romance between them yeah, and a Yeah, yeah, and it's just, like, I don't know, they're really just, like, trying to force this thing, but also, like, you're watching like there, there's no reason why she just like yeah wanna if anything like, she would be like yeah. suspicious of him especially because in the scene where uh, I mean he or I guess kind of saves her like twice in a way one failed when they're trying to escape after being arrested by General Orimov yeah. she gets left behind because she falls through some flooring while they're running through a library yeah um, and then Bond when he rescues her from the train that's when she kisses him really she should be suspicious of him yeah but I think we should detail the character a little as well yeah so um, she's like a a uh, she's another programmer. She's another programmer. Boris uh, sort of like looks down on her. Yeah, they like, used to. Oh, she's a junior programmer. Yeah, yeah. Like... she couldn't break my codes if she wanted to. Yeah, uh, but they like um, they worked together at the Goldeneye installation in Sievernaya, which is literally just the word. It's the adjective for north. <laughs> and then they show it on the map, and it's like in the middle of fucking Siberia. Yeah. It's not even that far north. Um, for Russia, at least. Very funny. But anyways, yeah, she's a programmer. She worked with Boris. She's considered to be, like, sort of a lesser programmer. She was there when the installation was attacked by Oromov and... Uh, Zinia Onatop, who killed all the programmers, basically, except for her, because she was hiding in the kitchen. Yeah. And, uh, That's actually a really good scene, where it's like, you believe that she's climbed into the ventilation system, yeah. and Zinia Onatop sort of comes in and, like, shoots into the ceiling, and ha ha ha, and walks yeah. out, and then it's revealed that she's actually, like, she staged it... Up there to look like she's up there by leaving the vent a bit open, but actually yeah, she's no, that like hiding in the in the cupboards. In the yeah, kitchen. that is actually quite a good scene. Yeah. Uh, very clever, very clever. And Grushenko steps out before the attack happens because he knows it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so later in the film, they're pit being pitted against each other. Um, so that's how she's involved in all of this. And Bond needs her at the end of the film because she's the only person who knows anything about the Golden Eye who's still alive yeah. besides Boris. 
Um, so she plays an important role, but yeah. I, I do find that her her characterization bit in between the sort of early Bond girl model and the more developed sort of yeah. Daniel Craig era, where she like she is capable, but she's just not capable in fighting. Yeah. So throughout all the sort of uh, espionage and traveling around and getting into these scuff ups with uh, Xenia or Alec Trevelyan or whoever, she's often kind of just falling into the Tanya Roberts, James, James, yeah. help me. Although she does show that she knows how to like, I don't know if use a gun, but just like take a clip out of a gun and then put it back into the gun and cock it. Or yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Just like, Maybe she's a really bad shot. Yeah. She can yeah, load the gun. Yeah. She, can, she can sort of like you know, make she can play around with the parts of the gun. Right. You know, so. But she's important. I mean, when she's on the train after they get left for dead... Uh, oh, she ha- spikes, uh, quote-unquote, spikes yeah. Boris. She spikes Boris and finds the location of their uh, installation in Cuba so that they can track down 006. And um, she also, at the end of the film, sets in a new code to the system that changes and then locks it... Um, and changes the position of the satellite so that it burns up in the atmosphere. Yeah. So really, she's the one who saves the day. Yeah. Bond is the one just sort of making sure that 006 and Grishinko can't um, fix the problems she's created. Yeah, make, make sure that he drops Sean Bean from a great height. Yeah. Okay, well, when we get to the villain and the henchman, yeah. I want to talk about that. Okay. Um, the Bond girl. <laughs> yeah. I think, not bad. Not bad. Not no, bad. Definitely not the worst representation yeah. we've seen. It just, like, I think a lot of the issues are just, like, with her relationship with Pierce. That was just sort of, like... It feels shoehorned. Just, yeah, just, like, really forced. I mean, it's, it's just sort of, like, one of those classic sort of, like, very forced romances in, like, an action movie. Yeah. Like whatever, where you're just, like... I don't know. I don't, I don't buy that she'd just, you know, be down for this guy. I don't buy it either. I mean, I don't buy it in the late Roger Moore films as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is Pierce Brosnan's film where he looks the best. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he um, definitely... He's, he's looking pretty fresh in this. So what do you want to move on to now? We've got... Uh, what I guess we have the left? villain, his plan. Villain his, and his plan. His henchman, his, his vibe, you know. Yeah. So we've already kind of talked about the Bond... One of the Bond girls who's also his henchman. Yeah, Xenia on the top. Yeah. Xenia on the top. She's... Okay, there's really not much more we can say about her. Yeah. I guess the other henchman's like Umarov. Um, and then Boris. And Boris, yeah. So Oromov, he's just a old Soviet general who's now a Russian general. He just wants to make money. He's, that's why he's part of the henchman plan. He knows. Well, there, there's like with the villain's plan. There's like the classy, classic moment where it's just like you don't have an ideology. You're just a petty thief. Yeah. And he's like, oh no, I'm a petty thief, but I, you know, also fuck England because. Uh, yeah. Right. They uh, because my parents were Nazis and that makes them cool. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then so Oromov, he's just a yeah, general who's become part of the plan. He gets killed by 006. Yeah. No, actually, 007 kills him. Pierce turns around because. Oromov is holding a gun to Natalia's head. Oh, yeah, And yeah, he shoots, shoots Oromov yeah, yeah. and then turns around to shoot Xenia on the top and Alec Trevelyan, but they've already left the room. Yeah. So yeah, he missed yeah. his chance. How, how would you how would you rate the plan to steal money and uh, then um, drop an EMP? There's easier ways to do it, but it's creative. It's kind of fun. I like the idea of not just, like, you know, blowing up a city, which is sort of the more primitive, like, Connery or, like, more things, but just, yeah. like, disable it, just sending England into the Stone Age by just, like, drop it, dropping a big EMP on their, their financial capital. And just, yeah. Just, like, erasing every record of everything. No, it's definitely... I do think it's a bit of a better plan than you get. I mean, it's better than almost... It's better than World Is Not Enough. It's better than... I don't even remember. What does it do? Is that the one with the sea drill, or is that the one with the nukes? 
that's the nukes in the Istanbul and the Strait yeah. Isthmus Strait, so that they can create an oil line that only. Oh yeah. Electra what's what's the sea drill plot? What does he do? He the wants to drill, drill holes and things? Or no, that's just a gadget. <laughs> it's just a gadget. Because uh, he steals the missiles that oh, he's going to yeah. use to start the war. just fucking stealing missiles all of that. Yeah. I mean, like, guess what, folks? The next film we're going to talk about has diamonds in it. So there's just another trope has yeah. entered the Bond Pill podcast. Like, two weeks in a row, we're just fucking talking diamond. about conflict diamonds. We're in the diamond zone. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the villain's plan is honestly fine. I, I obviously don't sympathize with him because he's doing this all for his Nazi parents, more or less. But, um... It's a good plan. Yeah. It's a fun plan. It's a it's a like it's a new plan. We haven't seen something like this really. No, and we haven't seen a a double O agent gone bad. And That's true as well. Like a it, you know this doesn't happen again until what Skyfall. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess. And this is you know this is a big threat. Someone who matches James Bond and in, in skill and uh, wits and you know. Yeah, he is, he is a big threat. I wish they made him more physically threatening in the film, though. Yeah, he's just sort of like a northerner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, do, he doesn't really have the um, physical prowess of your Red Grant, you know? Yeah. I think the next Bond should be a northerner, I think, though. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> should, be, should, make it should a be a Jordy. No, it should be a Jordy. Yeah. <laughs> Can't understand anything he says yeah, in the whole film. someone from, like, Sunderland. He's something. like, can I get a bottle of Brune? Yeah. <laughs> So well, what did you want to say about the uh, the dropping shot? Oh the right, the dropping. Yeah. So the end of the film where Alec Trevelyan dies has a scene that made me kind of just like very close to burst out in laughter, and it's because there's two like dr- matched sort of dropping things that happen. Uh, it's the scene where Pierce drops Sean down onto the satellite dish, which is then intercut with Boris screaming into his computer screen as the GoldenEye satellite explodes. Yeah. And both of these, so, like, this, the shot of Boris screaming into his computer screen is they've just placed the camera in front of him, and he's, like, screaming directly into the camera. Yeah. And it's, uh, and this, like, cr- pretty short-cut shot. But they, like, match that editing in almost, like, Kunate Arkin martial arts style with the shot, like, the zooming-in shot of the top of the satellite dish falling in down on Sean Bean. Yeah. And they're both making the exact same face yeah. and it's like the same shot screaming and I, in my head I'm just like I this seems like Martin Campbell trying to create some sort of like action film editing poetry. Yeah. And it just struck me as like some of the funniest construction of an action scene I've seen yeah. in a while. No, you just have these like nice. matched shots very close to one another. I yeah. think within 30 seconds of each other yeah. happening. And it and at first I the reason it made me laugh is because the Boris shot happens and I was kinda like, I don't we didn't need to see that. Like that doesn't even why would he even know that it's blowing up at that exact moment? He's just screaming into the computer. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense from a narrative standpoint. And then you see the second shot which which makes the first shot make sense, and that is what was particularly funny yeah. to me, is the sort of like clunkiness of this moment in this high climactic uh, reboot of the Bond franchise. Yeah. To see something so um, almost like out of place in my uh, was very funny. But that's the Bond villain, his henchman. Is there anything we're missing? I think we've covered everything. Do you want to talk about the score? What did you think of the score? Uh, I, I mean, I honestly was just like, I, my ears were just tuned into the parts that just had sort of like break beats. Yeah, like yeah. it just had like that classic, like nineties sort of like, yeah. So the guy who did this, uh, <laughs> Eric Seurat, who did actually the soundtrack on many Luc Besson films. He did Big Blue, Nikita. What else? He did Subway. I think he did... Did he do Leon? I think he did Leon, but I'm not positive. So he did all these movies and, uh, I guess they got him because... 
they just wanted a big name on it since yeah. it was the reboot and then I guess when he handed in the soundtrack everybody watched the movie and heard the soundtrack and was like what the fuck is this we can't use this. and they had to admit, they had to force him to do some rewrites because oh, there wasn't the Bond theme wasn't in the movie once that's crazy yeah. yeah and they had to force him to do some rewrites and he turned it in and I guess he's never talked to anybody from the production after that because he was like Brutal. unhappy yeah. at them telling him he didn't do a good enough job but I do think it's a pretty bad soundtrack I, I know we talked shit on the David Arnold soundtrack from Tomorrow Never Dies, um, and David Arnold did Die Another Day, but I think his soundtrack in Die Another Day is pretty decent. Yeah. So moving on, we can talk about Die Another Day now. Yes, yeah, so Die Another Day came out in 2002, starring, obviously, Pierce Brosnan, Halle Berry. Yeah, he's he's like he's entered instead of, like, Roger Moore, late, Roger Moore, yeah. late Sean Connery, uh, Timothy Dalton was lucky. He never he was entered just the only old phase. Yeah. yeah, I think Daniel Craig even entered his old phase where he just like he seems so small. Yeah, he's just getting like, like he's, he's he kind of shrinks. Like he's like a fragile old man, <laughs> but he still um, looks good. He still looks good. But yeah, no, it, it, 2002, directed by Maori filmmaker Lee Tamahore, who... Yeah. Also known for cross-dressing and getting arrested for soliciting he, police officers for sexual acts. Yeah, which... An undercover cop. Yeah. Which is, like, a poor poor guy. Poor him. Yeah, sucks. He's yeah. just trying to have a good time. He's just trying to have a good time. His... He, I mean, it didn't... It sort of tanked his career a bit, but then he ended up, like, making more movies after that. And so yeah. I think everyone just, like, quickly forgot about it. And I, he ended up going back to New Zealand in 2016 and making another film with Tamora Morrison. Right. Uh, My mental image of Lee Tamahori is always like Mr. Kill, the henchman. Yeah. Before I ever saw a picture of Lee Tamahori, you're just like, oh, always, yeah, he just looks like a, a, one of the New Zealand All Blacks. Or literally, I'm like, I assume <laughs> yeah. like most. I, in my head, I'm yeah. like, yeah, he's Maori, so he's like a big rugby player. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he's a small man. So yeah, in an indigenous filmmaker in the Bond franchise, and I mean, if, if anyone's interested, his first feature film, 1994's Once Were Warriors, is a very good like family drama. Really, I mean, just really violent and brutal but quite poetic and moving and uh, considered one of the greatest indigenous films of all time yeah you're definitely like one of the greatest like Maori films and they, they do have sort of like a, a big enough market there I mean like obviously the big filmmaker that we uh, we have these days from there oh, is, there is our is our boy no, honestly enemy of the pod type of <laughs> and just like well he's the I mean he's been the enemy of so many people lately I think people hate him right now yeah I mean, he just he, you know he's like a bit of a goofball he, he shouldn't make Pro. Movies about Hitler. Yeah, <laughs> like, you should make movies way. where you play a comic version of Hitler. Yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah. Moving on. Two thousand two. Uh, do you have any other production notes for this? I I didn't. I never really look that deep into the production notes. And you're sort of like, what do they say about this in the book? In the book, you know, man, they had fuck all to say about this in the this, book. This is like, I think they're trying to bury that this film exists. But they are. There wasn't this film. They just in the book they talk about it as being like two halves that have been sort of sutured together unsuccessfully. And that it was being... The reason it was written in this manner was they were trying to create a 40th anniversary sort of Die Another Day, like Bond celebration film that would incorporate a lot of different elements from Bond. So the first half of the film, in a lot of ways, kind of feels a bit like the early Connery films. It's a little more espionage-based. It's a little more serious. And then that end is your big Roger Moore sort of spectacle moment with all of your insane gadgets and insane villains' bases and plans. But they say it was a big sort of dropped ball sort of moment, and a lot of people in the interviews I've read talk about how they think maybe Lee Tamahori was just kind of, maybe he was the wrong choice, and they don't like that he relied on outdated action editing techniques 
which is mainly the step printing you see in the scenes like when General Moon is killed. Yeah. Or when um, Zhao crashes his car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these sorts of things. You see a lot of step printing. I personally enjoy the step printing in the film. I don't think it's an outdated, shitty technique. I think it's a nice, fun texture to engage with. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just a texture that you don't see in sort of like your, your you know, standard action film. Which Yeah, it usually be like a Chinese film from the 90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the writers are um, Robert Wade and Neil Purvis, who have written pretty much every Bond film after GoldenEye, yeah. or at least after world's not enough i think you've got two editors christian wagner and andrew mcritchie peter lamont doing the production design once again and michael kleinman again doing the titles so you okay. standard percentage sort of yeah right. yeah see the, the film opens on the uh north korean coast pierce brosnan is surfing in with two i guess like south korean commandos or something in a really weird scene a very strange sort of surfing scene which i was shot watching this night as well shot day for night and definitely shot in new zealand too <laughs> I think, like I was watching this, like this, this looks like New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> or I also like, love that like the two guards walking the beach are literally like seven feet away from all yeah, the like yeah, spe- yeah. spec ops as they come out of the water, basically, yeah. and they don't see it. Uh, but yeah, so they're 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 there to intercept a a white South African an Afrikaner Boer guy coming in to trade some diamond, some conflict diamonds for never trust a weapons for North <laughs> Korean weapons. So yeah, no, Pierce dresses up as this guy, goes into the base to make this trade. His cover is blown while well, he's mid mission. While well, he's mid mission, and actually you get a nice little shot of Zhao using it. 2002 cell phone. Yeah, so I guess yeah, we should we should probably introduce the two villains here. I think that's probably a better. Yeah, because they're both introduced right at the beginning. Yeah, they're introduced right at the beginning. So we have uh, Zhao, who's sort of I guess like the right hand man of Check's phone. Moon. His name is Moon, but I don't know his first name. I just know he because he's the Colonel and his dad's the general. Yeah, so Colonel Moon, who is sort of like he hasn't. Colonel Moon is not. You know, much to his father's dismay, has not been following the or adhering to the ideals of Juche, and he yeah, has but, been. But he's actually too hardline of a Juche. Yeah. Yeah. There's sort of like a weird... And he's too decadent. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some interesting things that aren't always bad being said about North Korea in this film. Yeah, you can, <laughs> I, the writers had to have gone and read a couple books. Yeah, no, there, there's something weird going on here. Like, they have but, a deeper understanding of North Korea than most Westerners yeah, do. Yeah, because there's a lot of, like, lines in the film about, like, how the West has torn this country apart. And, like, yeah. a lot of emphasis on the Americans placing a million landmines for then, no reason. Yeah, absolutely, and there's even this line where when, um, at the end of the sequence... So yeah, his cover's blown, there is a massive, really well-choreographed hovercraft chase through the DMZ. It's fun to watch the hovercraft. Yeah, Zhao is blown up with diamonds embedded in his face, Colonel Moon drives off a cliff, (laughs) (laughs) or hovers off a cliff. Yeah. And (laughs) And uh, Pierce is left behind and is arrested by General Moon, who's arriving to this base, who, he doesn't know about this weapons deal either, and he's sort of just like... Diamonds. He doesn't know about the weapons deal. Dismayed as find all this like chaos on and, his base, and on top of his son now being dead. Yeah. Uh, um, so Pierce is thrown in the slammer. Yeah. The it, North Korean slammer. The North Korean. So what? What's the line? So the line is actually just after the title sequence. Um, but basically, General Moon is giving this like speech to Pierce Brosnan, and I thought this was a really like in, kind of insightful yeah. thing from the writers. Because um, there are, there's a lot of political, depending, you know, in North Korea, there is political will towards what General Moon is saying here. And what he is saying to Pierce Brosnan, or Bond, I should say, is that, you know, 
It's been 50 years since the Americans tore our country apart. Yeah. And then finally, out of nowhere, you show up and you give the hardliners evidence for what they've been pushing for all along. Yeah. And now there's no more going back to talk with the West. Yeah. No, it, it's a really, like, interesting, nuanced look. It is a, like, yeah. Yeah. And I was really, I was really surprised to see this. And, like, I, the writers must have been, like, reading some books Absolutely. about the Korean War or something. Which, and now, while we say it's a nuanced look, Kim Jong-il thought otherwise... Yeah, uh, did not like this movie. Apparently. Did not, yeah. So we found out that Kim Jong-il was apparently a big fan of the Bond series. Yeah. Because he, ma- he was a cinephile, yeah. which is a really, like, yeah. I would love to get a top ten of Kim Jong-il. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But anyways, he was like a Goodfellas, Casino, Wolf on Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, uh, yeah, so he was a cinephile and he loved the Bond franchise, but then when this movie came out, he was like, never again. I hate yeah. James Bond yeah. because they made North Koreans the bad guys. Yeah, but it's just like, this is like the most decolonized Bond film. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it was probably because, you know, maybe that's why. No, honestly, maybe that's why. Maybe Lee Tabahori has some like nuanced insights. Uh, anyways, Bond's thrown in the North Korean slammer. He gets out 14 months later and is sort of burned by MI6 because they believe that he might have given up secrets and he sort of... And that's actually know, the reason they got him out. Yeah. Because they thought he was going to start giving out more secrets. Yeah. So Bond, as we've seen many times, goes rogue and tries to track down Zhao yeah. and get his, uh, his... get his revenge. Yeah. Um, so... He ends up in Cuba. He ends up in Cuba. Yeah, so he, he gets a tip to go to Cuba, where he meets up with Halle Berry, who plays an NSA agent. Uh, Which, they, why would she ever be... Like, I mean, I, I, I don't know. this I, is like a massive misunderstanding of what the NSA does. Yeah, no, I mean, it would have made more sense to just make her CIA. Absolutely. she's just, like, doing what the CIA usually does. No, just, yeah, there really is no reason. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, uh, so but he, she comes out of the water in the Ursula Andress outfit. Yes, from and Dr. she's no. got a knife, yeah. Yeah, she's in the full Ursula Andress Um fit. This is the Bond 40 thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, he finds Zhao in Cuba who is having a DNA replacement therapy done to make Which him... Which is like, I feel like we were watching Double Team. Yeah, I know, it's crazy, it's crazy. So it's <laughs> to, like, make him a white man. They're, yeah. Like, He's I mean, this, through. Yeah, this has that, like, Double Team sort of, like, insane... It 100% yeah, does. Yeah. Like, the clinic and <laughs> yeah, Double yeah, Team yeah, yeah, that yeah. He, Dennis Rodman and Jean-Claude Van Damme yeah, get stuck yeah, yeah, in or whatever. Yeah. Oh, it's just Jean-Claude Van Damme, which right, is a total right, rip of The Prisoner. Okay. Which is, yeah. Anyways. So this actually whole movie has a lot of JCVD vibes it does, to it. It does. It does. It um, does. Which I like about it. Zhao escapes. Bond then goes to London because he finds some diamonds uh, on Zhao's person that has the initials uh, Gustav Graves. Gustav. Engraved into them. So this is Bond discovers this character, Gustav Graves, who's an Icelandic diamond guy who's come out of nowhere. And he's like a big mogul now. Yeah, and he allegedly has a diamond mine in Iceland, but uh, the diamonds under further analysis uh, that have his, you know, little emblem engraved in them are actually just conflict diamonds. So it's sort of like linking back to the plot, you know, we're getting some whispers of like what might be happening with the diamonds and the weapons from North Korea. Uh, So yeah, Bond, I think after a few like very hilariously tense encounters, including that just outrageous fencing scene with Gustav Graves. I I find that such a fun scene. Verity, James Bond, your lesson. See you handle your weapon well. I have been known to keep my tip up. Amazing. And it's, it's Madonna's scene. Yeah, too. yeah, Madonna it has like Rosamund Pike. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's really good. And then uh, so yeah, Bond finally gets back into the MI6 fold. Gets still covertly, I guess, but like you know, M and Q are in his side. Gets sent to Iceland to an 
a palace made of ice where Halle Berry also arrives and they're yeah. trying to stop Zhao and then it's revealed that Gustav Graves is actually just Colonel Moon who's had uh, the gene therapy done right. so he's now a white guy and he uh, like the most petulant British schoolboy yeah no no it's, it's great it's great so yeah him and Zhao are just they're much like in Diamonds Are Forever they're using the power of the diamond to create a like sort of space ray this time it's something that like reflects the sun into a very like concentrated beam right uh ostensibly through gustav graves's company is something that you can use to extend the growing season in cold climates yeah but his actual plan is to just use it to blow up every mine in the dmz so the north korean army can roll through and invade the south after a a coup of the hardliners has happened in the country um, we're treated to a few just, like, insane chase sequences, including an invisible car, and then this, like, rocket... The Vanisher is what they the call Aston it? The Aston Martin Vanish. Well, it's a Vanquish. It's the but Aston they Martin call Vanquish. it the Vanish. They call it the Vanish. Yeah. But I, I, how do you feel about the, that CGI plus the miniature shot of the uh, sort of, like, X-Wing oh, the... grappling over the cliff? Man, I gotta say, the <laughs> final 40 of this film is an eyesore. It's an eyesore, but in, like, a very interesting way, where it's, like, it's... A few films have looked like this, and this is sort of, like, almost getting into, like, the digital filmmaking of, like, uh, Attack, Attack of the, of the Clones. Clones or something, absolutely, where, like, you're starting... You're looking at these, like, I mean, really, this is, what, the same year as Attack of the it Clones? It is, it is. So you're looking at these, like, extremely artificially sort of textured environments, but, like, I, what I found more beautiful than all of that, though, was, like, kind of, like, a, a real, like, silent film or, like, 30s style thing happening with like the Iceland set that he's on when he's sort of walking around in like all this fake snow and just these like sort of plastic like blue (laughs) the plastic blue just like big ice rocks everywhere (laughs) and it was just like it was such a set and like a very so very clearly like a set it was so artificial uh yeah so he kills Zhao with an invisible it's actually a repeat no it's actually a repeat of the shot from Goldeneye where Alec Trevelyan dies Yes. Oh, yeah. He, 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 he drops an ice chandelier onto Zhao. And Zhao, looking right up into the camera, screams with his mouth wide open as yeah. the... Just rams right into it. Yeah, also Zhao, by the way, now is bald, has blue eyes, because he got his... Is a lot whiter. His his gene therapy got stopped halfway through, and for some reason they never took the diamonds out of his face. You know, I've missed your sparkling personality. Mm. (sighs) How's that for a punchline? Yeah, it seems like either the body would reject them, or you could just pluck them out. Pluck them out. But uh, at any rate, I love the idea of a Bond villain with a diamond-studded face. Yeah, it's like I think it's honestly I think it's a callback to Jaws. Yeah, and oh, it, it works. Yeah, it, it does, works. It does. I like Zhao. He's a good yeah. henchman. He's um, so a yeah, Bond and Halle Berry uh, regroup. They go into North Korea and they get on a plane that's sort of controlling, like, Colonel Moon is now in this, like, super suit. He's now Iron Man. He's now Iron Man. He's in an Iron Man suit that can, like, electrocute people. And it can also control, like, the satellite. Yeah, it's controlling the Icarus, and he's blowing up the landmines, and then there's a big action sequence on the plane, and Bond, like, he he gets sucked out of the window and into the jet engine. And dies. And dies. Not Bond. Not Uh, Bond, yeah. (laughs) Gustav Graves. Gustav Graves. Colonel Moon. Colonel Moon. And, uh, yeah, you know, back in London, the case is all closed, and Bond and Moneypenny finally sort of, like, consummate their, all, all the tension over these years, and they start to fuck. Yeah, they start to fuck on Moneypenny's desk. On Moneypenny's desk. 
Which would you believe this, folks? Yeah, would you believe this? Well, don't believe it because it's Money Penny just like using a weird VR, like the Star Trek holodeck to masturbate, and um, <laughs> which I assume is what everybody uses the holodeck yeah. for, actually. And uh, Pierce Brosnan is actually just like putting diamonds in Halle Berry's belly, belly button, button on some like in some cottage on the in North Korea. <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> well, it's weird. The scenery looks like they're in the Caribbean. Yeah, there's like literally but, no way they could have gotten back to the Caribbean. And the house that they're in is sort of like a very Korean style sort yeah. of like, like hut with the like I don't know. I imagine they shot this scene at the same time they shot all the Cuba scenes. Yeah, yeah. and they just like built a hut that looked Korean. Yeah, in the middle of like Cuba. Uh, so what? Let's let's talk about the film a little bit. Um, I guess what we should we usually go with the title and the music first and stuff. Let's right, right. let's let's get into this. What what did you think about this? title sequence and the song like honestly this is probably the best title sequence post goldeneye reboot i think from this from goldeneye yeah all the way to no time to die this is probably the best title sequence it's like it's really nice because it sort of like serves it, it's narrative kind of, purpose it's narrative purpose it's half Pierce Brosnan being tortured and then half sort of like some really like usually it's just like oh there's guns everywhere I found like it's all the torture devices it's sort like of being used but there's like some antidotes. really nice shots of like the, the first one when the title sequence starts and like all the like very CGI scorpion tails are popping up right. I really liked when the like the things that they're electrocuting them with they're like touching them together and then there's a shot of sparks but then there's also just like women sh woman shaped sparks sort Coming of like out. diving and yeah. somersaulting and stuff and like something as well that I really love about this title sequence is the use of the sort of like split diopter effect yeah oh yeah there's some amazing like in camera and, yeah yeah so it's like, all they've yeah. got all these like split diopter looking type filters or hexagonal filters basically that they are using and this is probably done in post so it's not real in camera yeah. effects i would bet but it looks good it looks Either really way. good, and yeah. it's really nice, and it's it's also really like sort of novel in a way to have this title sequence that actually shows you essentially what happens between the pre-title sequence and then the first scene post-title. Yeah, sequence. No, they're 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 uh, they're completely connected. The, yeah, the the opening and the post-title sequence, and it, this is just like, this is the narrative bridge between it, just showing all the ways being tortured. I thought it was really good. Um, I really, also, really enjoyed like, it. Also, like. Maybe the best song since Live and Let Die, too. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. It's so good. It's, yeah, so Madonna comes through with just, yeah. like, the, like, most outrageous, like, it, it, just as soon as it, it, I love how it starts, like, it starts with these, like, uh, sort of, like, bowed, sort of, like, double bass notes. Right. And it's sort of, like, building up into, like, what you think would sort of be, like, one of the more orchestral, sort of, like, Bond themes. And, and then just it just, like, like, hard cut into this, yeah, this hard cut into just, like, some 2000s pop Madonna, just, like killing it killing it someone who's just had this like a, amazing career of somehow just like always being like a really relevant sonic or like a very sonically relevant pop artist and, yeah. and making just like really good pop music decade after decade absolutely so yeah no it's, yeah, it's, no, a, it's, it's, it's a great song it's, it's a, a really great good song. sequence i also really like the allegory not it's not really allegory but i guess the sort of double entendre of the song's lyrics itself because you have, and I, I picked this up in the film, when you get towards the end, the scene where they're in the plane, Gustav Graves has a line where he says, like, when I think it's after he throws one yeah. of the parachutes out, and then he goes, 
I'll like die another day. Yeah. And and it's really I really love this because you have the direct meaning during the title sequence of the lyrics of the song actually being about Pierce Brosnan. Yes, he's in jail. Yes, he's suffering, but he's going to shut his body off or whatever. Yeah. He's going to like recede into just his mind so he yeah. can make it through the torture and he'll die another day. Yeah. He'll get out of jail. Yeah. But then you have this cropping back up later on with the Gustav Graves character and it being applied to him. And I love the multiple like meanings and the sort of like semantic function of the song for the yeah. film's plot. I think it works really, really well. Yeah. Better than most of the other ones. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not just like a bunch of like nice looking things. Ab- yeah. Like there is, and it's also like, you know, this is the only one posted GoldenEye that just isn't so, like there's a lot of CGI women in it, but it's just, it's not, that's, it's not that's solely not, that's, CGI that's, women. And that's it's not, not just, that's not the whole thing that's driving on. Like, there's, I'm not, I'm not yeah. just here to look at some fake Yeah, game. there's some really nice, there's some really nice stuff going on. And it's, it's also, like, a couple of, the, like, this it's shots of, like, him chained up, and they're adding sort of, like, the different, like, obviously in post-production, but just, like, the different, like, really harsh, like, contrasting filters yeah. on the image and stuff. And it's just something that you don't often see in, like, it... it it's more of like a poetic touch that you just like don't see in like a lot of these films that are directed by journeyman directors and I, I mean I guess Lee Tanahori is a journeyman director too or something but I, there's something but else that he's adding to this film there is like, something else yeah. he's got well and I can even pick this up as well there's the thematic of dream I see you don't chase dreams you live them one of the virtues of never sleeping Mr. Bond I have to live my dreams besides plenty of time to sleep when you're dead yeah. Throughout the whole film. And this is, like you mentioned, actually, before we started recording, this is the only film, I think, to this point, yeah. at least, where we get to see a dream sequence of Bonds. Yeah. Plus, we get Money Penny's sort of dream yeah, sequence at the yeah. end of the film. And then you have all the discussion of Gustav Graves... Going into the dream machine. The dream machine. Yeah, and, because and he can't sleep. He can't sleep, so he's forced to live his dreams. Yeah. And while I do think this is a sort of failed thematic in that it never coalesces into anything particularly meaningful or like immediately um, present in the film and you can never quite decipher what Tomahori is trying to get at through using this thematic of the dreams but it's there and you can tell he's trying to do something a little yeah. deeper and I don't maybe it just got cut out in editing and maybe the film was already a little bloated and yeah. it never made it in but you know you can see that there there are poetic elements to the film and that's something we see I think in the step printing in the um, sort of filters and split diopters in the title sequence, in the thematic of dreams. Yeah. Like, Tom O'Hare is going for something poetic yeah. here. Yeah. No, I, I find it, like, the only sort of, like, parallel I can draw between, like, another... Kind of like a similar film, I guess, is, like, Ang Lee's Hulk film from 2003. <laughs> which which is, you also really like. I, yeah, no, I really like that film. But I mean, it's, it's all about sort of, like... Uh, which this film actually feels like a, a primitive Marvel movie to me. Yeah, yeah, no, a, a little bit, a little bit. And, I mean, like, the, you know, in the, the primitive Marvel films before they were just, like, these... Cookie cutters. Insane, like, studio thing. Like, Ang Lee directed this Hulk movie that is a lot... It, I mean, it's just all about this, like, baggage from, like, family trauma. And there's a lot of just, like, dream sequences and just, like, traumas that are sort of, like, hidden and, like, explored through, like, this, you know, the Hulk character or whatever. And anyways, we should move on to the gadgets. Yeah, it's because there's a lot of gadgets. There's a fuck ton of gadgets in this movie. I actually think I, like, lost count. Um, There's the ultra-high-frequency sonic agitator ring. 
Which is used many times in a lot of very cool situations. This is, like, like the best gadget in the movie, yeah, in my no, opinion, it's, and it's really understated. Yeah, it's it's just a little ring that can break bulletproof glass, and yeah. Pierce uses it a couple times to just, like... He this. uses it to rescue himself by, like, blowing out the glass floor when he's sort of being, like, uh... He's about to be killed, basically, by yeah. Zhao and uh, Colonel Moon. But then he also uses it to save Halle Berry, who he drives the car into her, like, ice hotel room that's full of water because it's right. melting and she's drowning, and he... he places the ring in his dashboard to break the glass, the glass and then pull her through which right. is a really nice shot but yeah no the, he uses it pretty well yeah. and it's also a nice one because it's introduced early on in the film yeah so it's not one of those gadgets like you get in the Roger Moore movies where it just shows up when he needs it yeah yeah, yeah. it's a gadget he's had throughout most of the film uh, there's of course Aston Martin Vanquish which becomes the Aston Martin Vanish yeah it's a car that like like I don't a lot of the things in this film you start to just be like I don't understand the science behind this like yeah (laughs) it's got cameras on every side of it so it takes an image and on the other side of the car it projects that image so the whole car looks invisible yeah so it's like projecting like it's a material that can be projected from the inside or something like I don't know it doesn't really make sense uh, but it's got ejector seats, torpedoes, target-seeking shotguns. Yeah. Uh, first time we've seen, I think, shotguns. Since... It's got track. It's got extra traction on the tires too. Right, right, right. And but I mean, this is the first time we've seen shotguns as a gadget. What Roger Moore uses a shotgun in a view to a kill, but it's yes. got salt pellets in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a kind of funny scene. Uh, there's the laser watch. Yeah, which he doesn't just shows up at one. It point. just shows up. Yeah, it's never like uh, it's, it's never. It's in the night fire game. Uh, there's the rebreather that he uses yep. when he swims through the which ice. Which is a, probably a reference to fucking Thunderball or whatever. Yeah, there's what there's uh, Gustav Graves elect- electric um, gauntlets. That yeah, it kind of turns into like electro gauntlets. actually. Yeah, something. a little bit. Electro wearing an Iron Man suit. Yeah, there's the Icarus satellite. Yep. There's his um, Iron Man suit that yep. he wears that yep. couples with the gauntlets that are electric. There's the laser room that like right. cuts people with with lasers. There's the right, there's right, the right. gene therapy face mask. Yeah, the dream machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there's the dream, ther- the gene therapy itself. Yeah. Loads of gadgets, really, yeah, I guess. Yeah, um, no, this film was gadgeted out. I mean, most of the gadgets aren't that great, um, but I do find the sonic ring to be really great. Yeah. And I think it's on par with the grenade pin. Yeah. From yeah, Gold yeah, Knight. No, I think I mean, they're pretty close. Yeah, no, it's a nice thing to use. Yeah. Um, multiple times in the movie and, like, pretty, pretty good, important moments. Um, let's talk about the... Bond girls, I guess? That's sure, we've yeah. got Halle Berry as, you know, I don't even remember her name in the film. Jinx. Jinx, right, right. right. G- Jacinta Johnson. Jacinta Johnson. Jinx. Jinx. And then we've got uh, Rosamund Pike. This yeah. is actually her first feature That's film. That's wild. Which is why I kind of made a joke in our, yeah, you know, in our bit I, at the I, beginning. I noticed, and I, uh, I didn't realize this was her yeah, first feature. Yeah, this is apparently her yeah. first feature, which is surprising, because she's really good. Yeah, no, she's like the bad... She's a double an MI6 double agent. Yeah, and she's working for the North Korean Colonel Moon. Yeah, um, because they went to Harvard together. Harvard, and they yeah. fenced. They were on the same fencing team. Yeah, Harvard. they were on the same fencing team. Rosamund Pike's character, whose name is Miranda Frost, she turns out she so she is an MI6. Like she was a desk agent for yeah. a long time, working in cryptology, and then she got a field assignment yeah. to sort of spy on Gustav Graves. Because, you know, the diamond thing's kind of sketchy. Yeah. Finding a brand new diamond mine in Iceland. And she is the one who had been actually leaking the information that first got Bond caught. Yeah. And then convinced MI6 to think Bond was leaking sensitive info yeah. in prison. Yeah. So she's kind of like, almost, in terms of Brosnan or Bond's 
motivation to pursue Colonel Moon, uh, she's the more important figure. She also uses sex against Bond. She does. Which is very, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's nice to see that. Finally, he gets he gets some back of just like you know he has sex under different under pretenses that yeah. you know, he is not aware of you know, no so no it's, uh, he looks like he really enjoys it though oh yeah he loves it he loves it he's a horny but he, I mean he also has some pretty uh, like weird fruit based sex with uh, Holly Berry yeah with the was it a fig it's a guava or a pear a guava yeah, they're like yeah. cutting up a guava and eating it yeah, she pulls out a knife and is like, are you sure I'm good or something? Yeah. And then starts cutting a guava. Um, yeah, what, what do we think about Jinx? You know, I like her, but she feels out of place in the film. She feels very out of place, but I, what I did like about it is just like they absolutely, like the first time she meets Bond, I think they kind of immediately recognize, obviously, that each other, like just the way they're acting and stuff, they, they recognize immediately that they're both government agents. Kind of, yeah. And they're kind of just like, their relationship is kind of just like, let's fuck right now, because we're just like these we'll two. We'll never see we're each both, other again. Well, yeah, we're, we're both, both in the same club. We're both predators. So what do predators do? when the sun goes down. They feast like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, as they oh, call it, they were just yeah. like, I mean, they're, they're both predators who are sort of like hunting, they're in Cuba hunting prey, and it's just sort of like a, an interesting sort of like, you know. Yeah. It's a fun oh, scene. Yeah. There's a lot of like um, under the surface meaning in their conversation. Oh yeah, it's it's bad flirting, but I like that they just yeah. flirt the entire movie. Like there's no there's no no. There's just there's more chemistry. There's more chemistry. Will Pierce is old as fuck. He's old. Yeah, he's old as fuck. Halle Berry looks amazing. Yeah. But there's just like there's no attempt to like add any sort of gravitas to this other than just like them. it's just a flame. It's just a flame, except at the end when like. Yeah, it's kind of like oh, jinx and gotta put diamonds in your belly button. <laughs> yeah, right. But that scene's actually really fun. The one you mentioned, where she comes out of the water in the Ursula Andress outfit, because not only does it have this sort of like immediate recognition that they're yep. both government agents with the predator conversation, but there's also um, some references back to like some you know some real 40th anniversary shit where James Bond is undercover as an ornithologist. Yeah. And this is yeah, supposed yeah, to yeah. be, like, the inspiration for the Bond character, yeah. and the, the idea that he's, like, just, it's a boring name, somebody you might think who just studies birds or yeah. something. Um, something I think Ian Fleming has talked about at length. So this is a nice little reference in the yeah. scene as well. So it's a, there's a lot of fun moments yeah. throughout the film that I think people don't want don't want to recognize because yeah. that last 40 minutes is such an eyesore. Yeah. Do we have any more Bond girl stuff to talk about? I mean, I guess Halle Berry... As Jinx, I, she's the classic like CIA Bond girl. She's yeah, she's the classic up. rewritten Bond girl, yeah. the classic like second form yeah. of Bond girl, the one who's very capable, who doesn't really need Bond yeah. to do her job. And I mean, Ro Rosamund is definitely the more interesting one of the two, and like mm -hmm. I think on in the grander scheme of of the Bond girls, is is an interesting one. I mean, it, it's the way I will say she is portrayed as a villain is very. I don't know. I think it's it's something a bit new. It's nice to see a double-crossing agent. Right. As I said, her using the sex against Bond and, you know, sort of, like, you know, things in her past that sort of, like, lead her to do this or whatever. Like, I don't know. It's there, There's some stuff going on. I think it's it's a, not a bad characterization. No, I agree. The villain was planned. What did you think of the villain was planned? I I mean, I think this is, this is, this is kind of a fun caper, you know? I, I, I like the identity switching and stuff, and, like, I really like that 
I mean, we, I guess we have to talk about that fencing scene. Right. Where, like, you know, Bond meets Gustav Graves at this, like, fencing academy or, like, the Royal Fencing Club or whatever in London. And it's sort of, like, immediately there's this tension that, like, Gustav Graves slash Colonel Moon, like, because he recognizes, obviously he, he knows, knows Bond. who Bond is, but Bond and is, like... he even drops a little, like, he hint drops, where he's yeah, like, he have we met before? Yeah, and he's just really sort of, like, playing with this and Bond is... Just, just totally oblivious, but yeah. he, because he just loves to show off. They He's just sort of, like another masculine dickhead. Yeah, they have so, this, like, yeah. they start off having sort of, like, this normal fencing competition, and then it just gets, like, so heated that they take real swords and have this just, like, barn burning, just, like, all fucking, just, just, like, destroying all these, everything. like, suits of armor yeah. and this, like, fencing club. It's like, a really fun scene. Yeah. Like, it's memorable, and Madonna has, like, an extended cameo in it. No, it's, it's a very memorable scene, and it's I think it's also just a memorable plan. Um, it's really batshit. It's just really, really far out. Oh, yeah, no, but it's just, like, I think that this is where, like, the film succeeds in a certain, like, a few points where it's just, it pushes just, like, the extremity of realism. Right. You know, right. In, inside these Bond which something We have that this, like, really, building yeah. sort of... Like, the film starts out with a degree of realism. Yeah, yeah, well, it's just this sort of gritty, like, political thing, and it just, you know, as, obviously, like, it, it, it does descend into just, like, the modern equivalent of more, which we haven't really seen since, like, right. the more films or something, because they're like, oh, this is, this is far too silly, we yeah. have to go back to the gritty Bond, and it's nice to see just this, like, blockbuster, just insanity. Yeah, with, there's like, an ice palace, there's, yeah, a, there's I, a satellite that can blow up mines in the DMZ. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's just, like, all the weird you science can fiction completely this. change your genetics. Yeah. Yeah, just like kind of builds to this point of pitched, hysteric, yeah. insanity of and this it, Bond yeah. film at the end. And it's like, while I do think the end of the film is a total eyesore, I do find it charming at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. In the terms of, you know, the narrative and the plot and what's going on. Like we talked about before we started recording, um, Toby Stevens. Oh, he's, So immaculately he, cast. He's, he's amazing. Is so good in this movie. He's just like... It has this completely punchable sort of like posh British face and he d- keeps like, doing this thing where he's just retracting his lip his over upper his lip. teeth yeah. and just like sneering at everyone and like just the way and he's, he's so like, cocky uh, and yeah. confident but in a way that's just oh and it's really I really really love too that he he says to Bond at the end of the film he says I modeled myself after you yeah yeah, and I was just like, "Oh, who wrote? Whoever wrote this? My yeah, God, this yeah. is beautiful. Yeah. This is so beautiful. His performance is so entertaining. Every moment he's on screen is just oh, he, like, no, he's really good in this movie. Yeah, um, and then Zhao, Zhao too. You know, I think Rick Yoon got like uh, People magazine's like sexiest man alive that year. Or Did something. he? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty hot. Yeah, he's 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 a very handsome man. I mean, a fun villain. I love the villains with the fucked up faces. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. 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 I, is, absolutely. I mean, even Alec and Goldeneye had the fucked up face thing yeah, too yeah. Uh, but the like I said the sort of Jaws reference with the diamonds in his face is really nice and he's just like a very physical presence on screen and he's yeah. a very he is a real type of henchman he's a real threatening henchman and the other henchman yeah. Mr. Kill not as threatening I'm Mr. Kill well there's a name to die for no it's just this uh, played by Lawrence McAuray sort of like a Maori guy who gets a laser through his head at one point yeah um, and then gets his hand cut off so that yeah. <laughs> Halle Berry can open a door using yeah. his palm print yeah which is a nice moment. I wish we would have got to see a little more gore, like we were watching uh, *License to Kill*. Yeah, I mean, like I was, I, I sort of, I was happy that like after the chandelier falls on Zhao, there's just this like torrent of like red water. water. That yeah. just sort of like that was, that was a nice touch. Um, but yeah, I, the plan 
I think I think it's a fun plot, you know. I think yeah, it's sort of like a, I, I like the well, sort of the dynamic between him and his dad is really it's very interesting nice as well. Where it's sort of like he turns it on him at the end, where he's the one that's just like really willing to sort of push it as far as like launching a full scale invasion of South Korea. Yeah. Other than his dad, who's just trying to like his dad exist is... as trying to sort of cement North Korea as like, like a political entity, a political and, yeah. entity that is part of the world order and participates in world politics and. Yeah reasonable way this country was destroyed by the americans so yeah. getting to see this sort of like portrayal of the north as not just it's, this like evil yeah. villain it is really, it, really it, nice it, to it, see this is something that you would not see this in a film now and Absolutely sort of like you, you sort of fast forward to olympus has fallen uh <laughs> the very fun action film by, by the sort of like auteur antoine fuqua you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna double check this uh, right here but rick yoon returns as the north korean villain who is trying to trying to just kill America, you know, and it's just this is, and then also the fucking stupid, you know, the rapist guy and the stoner guy. The interview, co- yeah, collab yeah. on this movie to like fucking just a film about assassinating, assassinating like Kim a Jong-un, world leader. Right? Just insane, insane stuff. But yeah, I guess what we're getting at is like getting to see any sort of, even if it's only very slightly, like this film, nuanced use of North Korea as a plot device. What's well, sort really of like good. and like a real world politic absolutely a bond film is yeah like pretty it's it doesn't happen as often as the bond producers would like to think it happens yeah yeah i mean because a lot of it is just always just like oh yeah these these soviets these russians are up to some shifty stuff or, yeah like, and they're using fronts or something yeah yeah well i guess we're at that point yeah i mean i i i will i do have i feel like we we've been discussing die another day a lot i i we had a lot to say about it. We had it. a lot to say about it. I kind of feel bad that we didn't really, I guess, discuss Goldeneye as much, but I also, like, I really got a lot more out of Die Another Day, I think, on all fronts. I think it's interestingly written. I think, I mean, in terms of, like, the gadgets, I guess we sort of have a tie. We have a tie on the gadgets. The we gadgets. have a better title sequence in Die Another Day. Yeah, better title sequence. We have, I would say, relatively equal pre-title sequences. Yeah, just your standard. But another what day one might be a little more bombastic, so maybe slightly more entertaining. But I, I, well, of them are I, I, I think like a very well choreographed hovercraft chase. That's true <laughs> you as know. well. Um, <clears throat> so we got like you know pretty equal pre-title sequences. We've got a better title sequence for Die Another Day. We've got villains plans. I think the, the degree of historical nuance of Die Another yeah. Day almost brings it higher for me. I, I, I guess think there's that in Goldeneye too, because the yeah. whole incorporating of the Leans yeah, Cossacks. Which is very interesting. Yeah, so speaking of, of them, real world politics. So both of them have really, yeah, so the, I would say the villain's plans are pretty yeah. close. The Bond girls, I'm going to have to say, that's a hard one for me too. Yeah. They're really close. I think They're these really movies close. are actually a lot closer than the producers and the people who made them would like to admit. Yeah, and it, but you know, I think what, for me, my personal choice, what is going to like send this film through is... The editing? The uh, no, I, th- I think sort of like the writing and the themes that we discussed about right. sort of the dreams and sort of the more like poetic editing a very much like a much more textured film too like, it is a more textured as you film said, I absolutely agree it's a like, much more textured film I, I don't know I had a lot more fun watching Dino I wasn't bored and yeah. I got bored during, during Golden Goldeneye. Night. Yeah. I did, yeah. I feel like both of these films, for me, slightly overstayed their welcome. I did watch them back-to-back yeah. this morning, yeah. though. That, uh, <laughs> I do it. I've had a bit more time between them. I don't know. I, I, I you know, maybe I'm, I'm just trying to do a hot take, but I really think that Die Another Day uh, needs to be given a bit more love. Because I, I think, 
I agree that one of one of the level. biggest strikes against it. It's is, often called one of the worst. I which think I think is completely insane to say. Like, I agree. You know, I, there's a lot more going on in it. And I think we've touched on that. Yeah, I mean, the fact people that we think it. Yeah, we're well, just like, oh, it's just an invisible car or whatever. I'm like, it's kind of fun watching him follow, like, three guys five feet behind them with the engine running. This yeah. race car <laughs> engine is roaring. And these guys don't realize that there's an, a car behind them. Yeah, that's a very funny scene. <laughs> that's that's a, especially because oh, it's in the snow. Yeah. So, so there's tracks. Yeah. The tracks, right? <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's very funny. Um, yeah. Honestly, for me, these films are really, really, really close. I think Goldeneye is just like a solid action picture in a lot of ways. There's not much going on thematically, but it has yep. that cool historical element. Now, Diamond of the Day has that historical element as well. I think the action's not quite as good, but that's because Brosnan's older. Of course, the yep. action's not going to be quite as good. Now, it does have the better poetic touches brought by Lee Tomahori in the editing of the action sequences with the step printing, in the dream thematic, as well as in the sort of multiple semantics of the Die Another Day sort of yeah. idea. So I think these films are pretty equal for me, but for almost like slightly different reasons. Honestly, I think I'm going to have to flip a coin right now. That, because, is, that like, is brutal. They're, they're that equal. What if, what if this forces us into a tie break, though? Like, then I don't know. Then what do we do? We've never processed this We've before. Never this is like to. new territory. Yeah. So this is new territory based off my coin oh my God. right now. That's that's how close we are right now. I, if we could go to pens, maybe we should go down to the pitch and do penalty kicks yeah. to see who goes through. <laughs> so I'm going to do a two out of three real quick. I'm going to give heads to Goldeneye, okay. tails to Nine Other Day. Tails. And second flip. Tails. Oh my God. Die Another Day goes through. Hell yeah. I hope people can hear me flipping the coin on the Yeah, no. <laughs> so for the authenticity of it. I feel bad doing it as a coin flip, but I honestly, like... The the Brosnan films are all mids. They are really all mids. They're all, all mids, but... And these are the just, two, like, just upper for me, mids. Yeah, but just for me, like, the shining diamond, sort of in the rough, is just, like... The textures, really, I, the I, other day. I, to, for me, it's it's a bit of a special film, and I think it needs, needs, needs a bit of love. And I think uh, people need to... To appreciate it a bit more, because even for like you know, in terms of just like references and trying to just like call back, it's like I guess Skyfall is better at it, but fucking like um, No Time to Die, like get out of here with the callbacks, like just the first half of Die Another Day is just I don't know. Uh, so, well, here's the thing: is like I am one of the people who liked No Time to Die, yeah. but I feel like when if I was gonna get make your sort of opinion on the callbacks, I would use Skyfall as the example. Yeah, yeah. Sky Skyfall's full of callbacks. Yeah. And they're more mechanical yeah. than they are in Die Another Day. Yeah. In Die Another Day, they're inspired and sort of rewritten, and, except for the Ursula Andress outfit. Yeah. Other than that, like, all the callbacks are... The new is the old, but a semblance in Phantasmagoria, yeah. to quote Theodore Adorno. Real big brain moment on yeah. the podcast right now. So, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I like the callbacks. I like the textures of the film. I like the slightly poetic nature of the film. I like what Tomahori brings as a director to the Bond franchise. But it just, that last 40 minutes is such a brutal eyesore for me. That's really funny because I, I loved it. Yeah, you love I, that I just, I just, yeah. I don't know. I, like, I, I, I like, what I like about Goldeneye is that it's still using a lot of mats and practicals yeah. and... And there's a bit of CGI mixed in, but yeah. you've got a you've got that combo. And I love anything with mats or practical effects. I'm just like I I live and thrive on. And when you throw me into a big CGI environment, I just kind of start to lose my interest. I mean, I lose my interest if it's like a big sort of like finale to a Marvel film where you just have a bunch of gray CGI stuff flying at you. But just yeah. like I don't know, having like these rolling, just like deep 
blue wave. Like, I find just the colors are just insane in that sequence. And they are. I mean, especially because he's got the kite he's holding is yellow yeah. as well. So oh, there's, like, we forgot, nice... too, the callback of the villain parachuting in oh, with the Union Jack with the parachute. Union Jack. They flipped it. It's not they Roger Moore it. this time. Yeah, it's Christoph Graves. Yeah. yeah, that's a good callback, actually, to... Because it's not Bond. If it was Bond, it would be bad. Yeah. But the fact that it's Gustav is but nice. But it's, it's, it's a model of Bond. It's, yeah. you know... It's, it's the... Maybe, maybe this... This parody of Bond this, within the film. Maybe this sort of, like, Etonian class is bad. Maybe... Yeah. You know, maybe maybe Lee's maybe saying some stuff about this. I don't know. Maybe... maybe I, I think... Maybe, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to, to hang out with Lee again. And so... Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Well, the flip decided it. Dan other day is going through. Obviously, we've had good things to say. Hopefully, we have at least like shown you. We've shown our work yeah. in the podcast so that you can all believe us. Uh, I totally forgot about this, but this is a big moment. For this the is pod. a big moment yeah. for the pod. Um, we've got something new before we close it out for everybody. Uh, we got our first email. Yes, thank you, um, thank you, Kyle yeah, Harris. Thank you, Kyle Harris, massively. So, Kyle sent us an email. I'm going to read it out real quick. It's not too long. Praise and a question. Hey, Harry and Alan, pardon if the spelling is wrong. I'm actually, whatever. My, it's fine. Uh, no, I think we need to do some identity <laughs> politics. <laughs> uh, just wanted to pop in and say I'm a big fan of the podcast. Like any Bond fanatic, I tend to try out most Bond podcasts, but the ones that stick are the ones where friends just chat about Bond. I also have the fact-filled informational podcasts, the ones with interviews and news and all that, but the conversational Bond chats are really the highlights, and Bond Pilled is no exception. Uh, thank you very much. We obviously are not experts. Uh, it's always a blast to hear different people's takes on the films and see them from various perspectives, especially polarizing films like The Man with the Golden Gun or Spectre. I'll hear praise for both and also hear people rank them at the bottom, Man with the Golden Gun being my least favorite Bond as of this moment, and Spectre sitting in my top five. Really sorry we slagged your favorite like that. We don't really enjoy it, but... If we watched those two again, maybe Spectre would have gone through. I just... Honestly, what sent that one through for me was just the shorter runtime. Did it? Yeah, just uh, like having just... to like sit around with this really boring plot. I mean, mm. they were both kind of painful, but we're going to have to watch that soon. I just fucking... Like, I'm not ready for no, it, that's for sure. Yet. Yeah, so sorry that we sent your favorite to the graveyard of the tournament, Kyle. Uh, anyway, keep up the good work, and I'm excited to see where the tournament ends up. It's one thing to compare Bond actors, but trying to match up something like Diamonds Are Forever and Live and Let Die, two films with different approaches to Bond, is an interesting listen. I mentioned a question. As a Bond fan, I could probably guess just about anyone's top three answers to this question if I got to know them, but I'll ask it anyway. If you were going to introduce Bond to a non-Bond fan, what film would you show them first? Uh, my guess for a majority of traditional fans would be these three in no order. Goldeneye, Casino Royale, Goldfinger, all three of which have a case to make against those being a good choice. Apologies for the verbosity of the email, I could probably have edited it down, but like the Bond filmmakers, I'll just keep it the email equivalent of a two-plus-hour runtime. Regards, Harris, Kyle Harris. Well, so what do you think, Harry? Yeah. Which one would you show to somebody? I do I have to choose three or do I have to choose one? He only asked for the first one the you would first show. One. Now you could maybe give your top three if you wanted. This is really I, I feel like you have to introduce like different types of bond depending on the person. Yeah, that's a depending big on the person you're showing it to makes a big difference. You're showing it to makes a big difference, but I think like if you want to indoctrinate someone, like there are definitely many different bonds, and I, I don't know if if I had to choose one that sort of like I think is able to have some sort of intensity and dramatic gravitas but then also, like, a really good henchman, really, like, lush cinematography, really good score. You can see where I'm going with this. Just really beautiful miniatures, a very wacky villain, a world domination plot. Just sort of, like, 
I'm really curious if we're about to have the same answer. Yeah, honestly, I think Spy Who Loved Me is oh, like... Oh, okay, Spy Who Loved Me. Spy Who Loved Me. What's funny is, like, I, before doing this pod, like, I didn't remember a lot of the things, or I just had, like, really tiny little tidbits from, like, my youth just, like, scattered in my right. brain. So, I, I mean, my opinions on a lot of these films have sort of been, like, changing as we've been revisiting them. And I, th- I think that sort of, like, for me right now really encapsulates... Uh, it, it just combines so many elements that are good in Bond movies into just, like, one sort of, one like, singular package. Film. While... And it's, like, the last film of Moore in his prime. Before he starts to look kind of crispy. And he, like... <laughs> So far, he, you know, in, in revisiting a lot of these films, he, he is my favorite Bond right now, too. I'm really, I'm really liking his work. Moore's um, a fun guy. I mean, he's, he's a fun just, guy. He's a pleasure to spend two plus hours with. Yeah, and I, I think, like, the, the, you know, the right two hours to spend with him are, are that film. You know, you got... Yeah, I mean, if I was to choose a Moore film uh, to show somebody, it would either be that or Live and Let Die. Yeah. But so what, what, is, what is your top choice? I think I approach it kind of differently. I, I was trying to think, like, most people nowadays, especially if I'm not showing a cinephile friend a film, are mostly just interested in some good entertainment, you know? They don't necessarily, yeah. they don't really care if the plot fires on all points. They just want to see something kind of fun that might make them curious. I was thinking most, mostly, I guess, not. I, I wouldn't pick what I would say is, in my opinion, one of the best because for me, some of the best are like Honor Majesty's Secret Service or From Russia With Love, yeah. which I think for someone who's not really into cinema on a deep level, those movies aren't going to bring you back to Bond because they're just a little too slow for your modern, you know, standard movie goer. I think the one I might pick would be uh, You Only Live Twice. That's So when we got this email, I, that was one of the ones that I thought of. If we were to give a top three, like I right. think that does sort of, you know, depending on who you're showing it to. I mean, if you right, have any right. Japanese friends, I wouldn't really, you know, <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to show it to them. But. Yeah, but I think it's just got like, you know, it's fun. It's got really great miniatures. It's got a really good John Barry soundtrack. Um... It's got a fun. It's a fun story. You've got a lot of different cool locations. It does look really nice. You get to see Bond in the corny little gyrocopter flying around. Yeah, you get to see Sean Connery you, with just like extensive yellow face being done to him. Yeah. And then Plus, like, and another thing I like about it, not the yellow face. Not <laughs> yeah. what I like about it. Sorry, everyone. But what, something I do like about it, and, and that I think would actually intrigue younger people to come back, is the volcano base because it's an Austin Powers type of base. Yeah. And so the people who, most young people, they may have seen one or two Bond films, and then, you know, they've definitely seen the Austin Powers movies. Well, if they've only seen one or two Bond films, and they see something they recognize from another franchise that holds to their childhood in a meaningful way, like the Volcano Base, I think it might bring them back. And the fact that it's not a bad movie surrounding is a really, you know, it's a heightened thing. Like, You Only Live Twice is just a fun film. Yeah. And that's, I think, why I would choose it. Well, I hope we satisfactorily answered your your question there, Kyle. Thanks for the email. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a real joy. It sort of added a bit of purpose to what we're doing, I think. Yeah, I think we were extra. We had a lot more energy doing the podcast today, thanks to you in particular, Kyle. Yeah, so so this this one's for you, Kyle. So anyways, we were bond-pilled. Yeah, next next time uh, we will be trying our first distanced uh, podcast, because Alan is skipping town forever. Skipping town. Uh, Moving across the country. Yes. So we're bringing this podcast virtual. And, but, you know, the only, we will be the only coast-to-coast fucking Bond tournament podcast. Here we go. Uh, Let's try and get CBC to pick us up. The Living, yeah, so next week we're going to be, it's the final, okay, this is the final fucking. Final bracket. Yeah, in the round of 16 or whatever, yeah. Yeah. 
So we got the. We should have done group stages for this. You know, that would have actually. We would have fucking killed ourselves. Right? Yeah, we would have actually killed ourselves if we had a group stage here. Um, yeah, we got a Living Daylights against uh, just the forgotten film, Quantum of Solace. Yeah, so. Quantum of Solace. Um, <laughs> so tune in next time to catch that. Uh, remember, you can follow our bracket on challenge.com slash bondpilled. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, yeah. Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, you can email us at bondpilled at gmail.com. Please send us an email. Yeah. It was really fun to get Kyle's and we would love to read some more or answer yeah. some more questions on the pod. I was Alan O'Daly here with... With Harry O'Gittin. And this was yeah. the Pierce O'Brosnan Derby Day. Yeah. Stay bond. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>